Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. But I realized while I was telling them what we don't believe, I had sat in church the biggest part of my life and by becoming an unbeliever. Because they never taught me anything to believe. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. But the word, the Greek word for where the hearing by the word of God there, the Greek word God there, if you put that in your inner linear Bible, the Greek word there is not Theos or Elohim or any it is the Greek word Christos. We translate Christ. So he said, faith comes by hearing the word about Christ. So when I started discovering what Christ had done in my life, hallelujah, not just for me, but as me. See, even when the death angel passed through uh, Egypt's land, and God said, I'm going to smite every uh, the, uh, the firstborn of Egypt, which really was not just a random act. What God was doing was smiting every god that they worshipped. And their firstborn was a god to them. See, it wasn't random acts. He didn't, he didn't just kill cows because he don't like cows. They would worship cows. He didn't just bring flies because, but Beelzebub was the Lord of the flies. In other words, God rolled up his sleeve and said, everything you've ever worshipped or will worship, I'm going to whip it when I leave here. Hallelujah. You're going to see that I delivered you and whipped every God you've ever worshipped, and I did that with my right hand and my holy arm. Come on, somebody. When I think about his right hand and his holy arm, I think about the arm and hammer baking soda box where God rolls up his sleeve and says, I've been working out. What do you think about that? So when God says, uh, he stretches out his arm, but here's what I heard the Holy Ghost say to me. He said, I whipped all of those Egyptian gods. And I did it with one hand tied behind my back. He said to me a number of years ago, you've only seen my right hand and my right arm. I said, Lord, that's, that's pretty powerful. He said, I did all that with my own hand tied behind my back. I said, that's pretty phenomenal, Lord. He said, what do you think would happen if my whole body ever got involved? You didn't hear what I just said. What do you think would happen if my whole body? Come on, body of Christ. If I did all of that with my right hand and my holy arm, just think what would happen if my whole body ever got involved. See, I believe, see, that's one of the things I'm headed for in this text. Is when you look beyond the realm of the earth, you're going to begin to see that you're not just here to endure 70, 80 years in misery, that one of these days you can be happy. You're going to get a glimpse into the heavens and realize I was born to do something great. Hallelujah. I was born to reign. I, 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 I'm getting ahead of myself here. But I believe the moment you begin to pick yourself up out of the realm of the dust, you'll, you'll start seeing God is, 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 is powerfully bringing us to a revelation of our identity for a purpose. Let me not sidetrack too much here. But I, what I, I brought you back to, again, the picture of Egypt was that God said, I'm going to pass through the land of Egypt, and when I, when I see the blood, I'm going to pass over you. Now, what we usually do with that is we preach that the blood said to the death angel, this house escapes. That's partly true, but that's not the full truth. What the blood on the doorpost said to the death angel is not that this house has escaped. What the blood on the doorpost said to the death angel is there's already been a death exacted here. The death of the lamb was my death. Come on, somebody. See, what we don't realize is Jesus didn't just die for me. He died as me. Come on. He, 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 he was, I was crucified with Christ. 
Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ. Listen, listen, the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It's about receiving a life that will keep you. Hallelujah. I've been through all the religious stuff. Let, let me just come on down through here and, and, and unpack this just a little bit. Let me just get a little bit more of it here. This woman was bowed for 18 years. Now, I, I don't know whether this would be controversial or not. If, if it is, just kind of eat the grapes, spit out the seeds. I'll be going in three days. Hopefully it won't mess it up too bad. Me and Alan will still be friends. But <laughs> 18 is the number of bondage. It, 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 it is also the number of the beast, if you count it, 6 plus 6 plus 6. Now, I'm not going to be eschatological, except I want, to, I want to extract something from this. The first book I wrote back in 1993 is titled Beauty and the Beast, and there's only 100 of them left in print. We have a few with us. But I wrote a book in 1993 called Beauty and the Beast, and what really it boils down to is simply this, Adam and Christ, Beauty and the Beast. Isn't it interesting to me that Adam was a six-day man? He was a six in his spirit, a six in his soul, and a six in his body. Whoever you believe about the book of Revelation is not what I'm after. I'm after the fact that the lowest common denominator. The, the Amplified Bible says this in Colossians, So kill, deaden, and deprive of power the animal impulses that lurk in your members. But what I'm interested, what, what really caught my attention when I did a study on this number, Back some time ago, I came across a book called God's Arithmetic, and I found out that the, the, that every word in the Bible... Are we okay tonight? Yeah. Are we good? Yeah. Every word in the Bible has a numerical value. It is amazing to me how incredibly intelligent God must be because he really likes numbers. He's big on threes and sevens and twelves. And, you ever notice that? Yes, and so when I started seeing that even every word, every Greek word had a numerical value, I, I found this book that, that told me that was only five words in the entire New Testament, watch this, that had a numerical value of 666. The first one that has a numerical value of 666 is the word tradition. It is where Jesus said, you, and it's used 13 times in the New Testament, and it is where Jesus said, you have made the word of God ineffective by your tradition. That's right. See, our biggest problem tonight is not in the White House. Our biggest problem <laughs> is in our house or in, come on, yes. traditional religious groups. Yes. Because tradition is pro-God but anti-Christ. I, I didn't mean to jump in this deep tonight. But I tell you, I'm concerned as an older preacher. I really am. I'm concerned right now. That, and, 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 and I'm concerned that we're forfeiting a whole lot of stuff for the power and the move of God. When I desire to see the power and the move of God more than I desire to see a whole bunch of traditions and rituals. In other words, Jesus was talking to him. Listen, he said, your rituals, you, you, you've, you've, you've got more confidence in your rituals. And that's one of the deals that's happened here on why they can't see this woman healed. is because it's breaking their traditions. People would rather fight than switch, man. When you start dealing with traditions, 
I had a pastor told me in Kansas he had a church split over the fact that he opened the curtains on one of the windows in his church that they'd been sewed together and it was dark in that church. He said for 20 some years, he said, I was the pastor and I pulled those curtains apart, took the pins out of it. And he said, they called me in the office the next week and said, who gave you permission to open those curtains? And I said, man, if the pastor can't open the curtains, <laughs> he said, so that day I decided I'm taking the people and let them have that set of curtains. <laughs> Pastor's a great church in Kansas now. But what I'm after is simply this, man. I was in a Pentecostal church, and I understand protocol and stuff going on. But, but I was in a Pentecostal church, man, and the Holy Spirit began to move, and a woman gave a message in tongues, and I saw the pastor look over and tell his deacons to go set her down. And I, I leaned over, I said to him, what would you do that for? Because there was really a witness of the Holy Spirit in there. He said, well, it's Sunday morning, and we don't allow that on our Sunday morning service, and it offends our prominent guest. <laughs> and I, I leaned over and said to him, you, you may not want me to preach this morning. He said, why is that? I said, because if you don't want the Holy Ghost to talk, you might have the wrong cat by the tail here. Come on, somebody. Now, I'm not trying to be, I'm not, I know we're dealing with time stuff and all that. Now, I get all that stuff. But the reality of it is we have a substituted tradition for the power of God, and we've become pro-God but anti-Christ. And I believe that God wants to stir a hunger because I don't know where you're at, but I'm not seeing this thing wrap up in doom and despair. I'm trying to get us to lift our head up out of the earth and stop looking at doom and despair. Stop looking at how big the enemy is and start looking at how big God is. I'm trying to get somebody to... Quit believing the ten spies who only want to preach about how thick the walled cities are and how many, come on, how many, how big and bad they are. I want somebody to come back like Joshua and Caleb that's going to say, You are not going to believe the size of the fruit. Let's take our focus and put it in another place. We listen. We we've got such a worldview that's skewed towards the uh, you know to the point where we don't think God is doing anything. But I'm telling you that I believe God is on the move right now. I believe that we are in one of the most massive shifts of human history, and I believe people who are hungry to see God move are going to see a powerful. Maybe not uh, like it used to be in the sense of we're not going to go back, but we're going to have what God has for this hour and in order to do that we're going to have to take our focus out of the realm of dust and the realm of the earth and what the devil's doing to get our focus on what God is doing. Come on somebody. Quit looking at Adam, start looking at Christ. we got to decide who I'm going to preach to, what covenant I'm going to preach. I'm preaching to a new man. Hallelujah. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, is there anything anywhere that you can say, see, this is new. Well, to that question, Solomon, I say to you, there's a new creature. There's new tongues. His mercy is new every morning. There's a new covenant. There's a new day. There's a new creation. There's a new man. By the time he gets to the book of Revelation, there's a new Jerusalem. There's a new heaven and a new earth. And he rears back and says, watch this. I'm going to make everything new. Look to me like we win. Now they may not like if you pull your head out of the sand and look and see what God sees. Look into the heavens. But I believe the moment you get your focus on the heavens, you stop looking at all of the pessimistic gloom and despair. 
I feel like David tonight. I want to rear back and say, oh, magnify the Lord with me. The word magnify reminds me of a magnifying glass. Let's put God under the microscope. Let's expand God. Let's magnify Him. Let's preach Him so big. Come on, somebody. Uh, hallelujah. Somebody said to me, Ben, you preach so positive. I, I, I said, well, I'd rather stand before God one day. And He looks at me and high five me and says, look, son, thanks for preaching me so big. That was really nice of you. I'd rather be guilty of preaching him too big than I would to preach him too small. So I said, you know, growing up in them classical Pentecostal churches, we talked about the devil more than we talked about God. I often wonder sometimes which team I ought to be on look to be like the devil was winning most of the time. We couldn't have church without the devil. You, you, listen, man, we took up offerings based on what the devil thought about it. Come on, give in this offering, you're going to make the devil mad. I knew I was going to have a good service tonight because the devil fought me all the way to church. I mean, devil this, devil that, devil the other thing. You used to have a guy named Charlie sitting in the back of our church, and Charlie would be back in there, and they try to get him to sing. Now, Charlie would always come to church late. I'm not getting there as far as I thought. Are we okay? And Charlie, man, he'd get up to sing. And he'd say, uh, devil fighting me tonight. Devil don't want me to sing. <clears throat> Got a frog in my throat. <clears> throat> and then he'd start to tune the guitar. Because he didn't make it to church on time to tune the guitar. Now, ain't nothing kill a service quicker than have to stop the service to tune the guitar. Because you didn't get there in time to tune it. And I could have tuned it for him in five minutes, but but he knew the devil was fighting him. That's why the guitar was out of tune. And so Charlie would start to ding, 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 snap, pop. He popped a string. He got five strings left. But bless God, Charlie going to sing tonight. Because somebody going to get a blessing, and he going to give the devil a black eye. Charlie be down to four strings and a frog in his throat. I was 16 years old, and I'm sitting in the back with my friends, and Charlie said, Devil don't want me to sing tonight. I said, I'm with the devil on this one. I've heard you sing before. <laughs> Wasn't the devil within a country mile, man? We blame the devil. But we, in other words, we have focused. I'm not saying there's not a devil. I'm not coming across all right without having to qualify everything. But we, what we've done is we focused on everything's about me. I mean, you know, too, I was afraid to walk in the dark because of some devil. I'm telling you, I believe in a devil. I just think he's really defeated. I just believe, come on, that we've got authority in the name of Jesus. I believe he was defeated. Jesus took the weapons from him. Come on, on Calvary's cross, he defeated principalities and disarmed them and made a show out of them openly. I'm trying to preach to you a great big God, a wee little defeated devil and a dead old man. It seems to me like the more I preach that, the madder people get. But I came to tell you, you're not in Adam, you're in Christ. You don't got one foot in Adam and the other foot in Christ, that's a double-minded man that's unstable in all of his ways. You're in Christ. You may still have some maturing to do. You may still have some developing to do. You may still have to grow up, but you're in Christ. The moment you got born again, you got translated out of the kingdom of darkness and right then into the kingdom of his dear son. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. And when Jesus begins to talk to this woman, he said, Ought not this woman who is a daughter of Abraham? In other words, he brings her back to her identity and her covenant right as a child of Abraham and begins to build her up to the point where faith begins to come and says, Woman, you are loosed from this infirmity on the Sabbath day. Say it another way. Because of the finished work of Jesus, you've entered into a rest of God where you're not under the bondage of religion. You're not under the bondage of the world. Too much to preach here tonight. What we do is we swing from the bondage of the world to the bondage of religion. Or from the bondage of religion to the bondage of the world. But who the Son sets free? Hey, is free indeed. It was for freedom. Christ made us free. Hallelujah. Let, let, let me just hit this just a little bit, then I'll, I'll finish for tonight and maybe pick up it tomorrow night. The Bible goes on to say in this story that when he, he says to them, Ought not this woman, who is the daughter of Abraham, be loose from this infirmity? And then he begins to speak to them. He says, If a man has an ox or an ass, wouldn't you loose him and lead him away? To watering on the Sabbath? Now, the first thing I want to say is, number one, they're more concerned about animals than they are God's people. But the second thing that really stuck out to me was, I heard the Holy Spirit just whisper in my heart. He said, we need to take them to the water. Yes. He said, take my people to the water. I said, Lord, what are you saying to me? And I sat in a hotel room a while ago in Genesis 1, I believe it was, verse 2. So the Lord just begin to drop some scripture. I won't turn to all these because I don't want to be real lengthy tonight. And he says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was out form and void and darkness was upon the face of the great deep. Hallelujah. But I like this. But the Spirit of God began to watch this, Brother Allen, begin to move on the face of the water. Come on. Take them to the water. And I said, God, what he said? He said, if you ever looked into the water, you see the reflection of heaven. Right. Come on, somebody. How many know what I'm talking about? You go out to the lake, you'll start seeing the reflection of heaven. So what in the middle, I feel the Holy Ghost in here. In the middle of darkness and void and emptiness, God just put his reflection in the water and said, just bring them to the water. Let them look in the water because what they're going to do is they're going to see my face in the water. A few chapters later, the Bible says that God began to be grieved in his heart. It says that men begin to multiply, watch this, on the face of the earth. So they started to get an earth face. And God told Noah, build a boat. Because if you can't get the water, get, can't get them to the water, I'll bring the water to them. Oh, I, I. Now, can you imagine a hundred and some years of building a boat and you've, it's never even rained? He's preaching, it's going to rain. And it's never right. They have no point of reference. You've got to understand. See, that's one thing. See, but people will jump on the bandwagon when you preach something brand new. They're like, well, the newest thing. That's, whew, we're, well, we're, you know, we're the, we're the deep church. It's going to rain. But 120 years later, the only people you got left is your family. Everybody tired of the building program? 
But I love this. The Bible said, and God began to turn the water on, and the water began to come up. And the ark lifted them off of the face of the earth, and they went on the face of the water. Because Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And when God turned the water up, and see, see, that to me again speaks, man, can, can I take a little bit longer? I don't know what you're normally used to. Can I have a little bit more time here? Are we good still? Man, I, yeah, but I, I see Jesus as a picture of water baptism. Because what this ark is, he, the, the scripture tells us that, that, the, that, that, uh, that uh, the picture of the ark of Noah is a picture of water baptism in one of the gospels. Not one of the gospels, one of the epistles. And I said, Lord, how's that a picture? And the Lord said to me, well, the ark is a picture of Christ. I said, how so, Lord? He said, because it's your vehicle out of an old world dominated by sin and the curse. And it's made from shittim wood because if you're going to get people out of a curse, you're going to have to involve a tree. And he told him, he said, you're going to make an ark because it's going to be, how I many know every ark of the Bible is a picture of Jesus? Am I, I know y'all are, are, are Bible students here, so I don't have to de maybe deal with every detail here. But how I many know we got in Christ? And you know what's really interesting too? He said, when he told him to take this ark, he said, and thou shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. The, the Hebrew word for pitch it there is the Hebrew word kephar. It's the same word we translate atonement. So I got in a boat called Christ. I got sealed in by the blood of Jesus because what makes this boat float is I've been sealed to the day of redemption. Come on, somebody. Amen. And inside this ark, come on, there are animals of all sorts. I wish I could get some help. Come on. Touch somebody say, there's animals of all sorts. That's why you're here tonight. Hallelujah. There's three stories in the ark. There's an outer court, a holy place, <laughs> and a most holy place. The dimensions are 30, which is the number that means the blood of Christ, by 50 cubits, which is the number of Pentecost. So you've been blood-bought, come on, and baptized in the Holy Ghost. If that don't get you out of an old world dominated by sin, nothing will. Then it's 300 cubits long, which means divine completeness. That ark takes off in the month of Passover. It lands in the 21st day of the seventh month during the Feast of Tabernacles on a mountain called Ararat. And the word Ararat means the curse has been reversed. I got in a boat called Jesus. I got sealed by the blood. I got baptized in the Holy Ghost. I got delivered from an old world dominated by sin and by the curse. And I got off in a world, a brand new world, where the curse has been reversed. I'm not under any kind of curse. No generational curse. No curse of the law. Not Adam's curse. I've been redeemed from the curse. I gotta throw this out yet. Two birds flew out the ark. There's only one door in this ark. His name is Jesus, and there's only one window, and it's above. So if you're gonna look out, you gotta look up. You can't be looking at the earth. Am I making sense tonight? And so he, he looked, if you, he, and he let two birds go out. One is an unclean bird, it's a dirty bird. Say dirty bird. The dirty bird flies all the way through the scriptures, lands in the book of Revelation. Babylon has become the hold of every foul spirit and the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. But the dove only has to fly to Matthew chapter 3, where Jesus is coming up after River Jordan, and the dove lands on Jesus. What that said to John the Baptist, 
is right here's the new world. Here's the olive branch. Here's where the curse has been reversed. And interestingly enough, he's coming up out of the waters of baptism. What are you trying to tell us tonight, Brother Huff? I'm trying to tell you when you identified with him in your death and your burial through baptism, and you came up out of that, you came up in a new world, and you come up, God lifted you up out of the face of the earth, into the face of the waters. God just turns the water up. And when you come out of it, you're a new creature where the curse has been reversed. I got a clothes somewhere, but I can't help but think about I got two little granddaughters. One of them is Jason's daughter, and she's she'll be seven in July. And the other one I was thinking about her when you were singing this song, because if I'd have taped this and put it on Facebook, she'd have told her mom, that's my jam, mom. And she'd have been dancing all through the living room on that jam because she likes that song. But I took them to see the Lion King a number of years ago. And I thought I was, well, that was clear back when my kids were young. But now they're watching the same movies, you know, over and over again, and they know the tunes, everything to them. But the first time I saw this movie, The Lion King, I was in the theater, and I just thought it was taken to see a kiddie movie, you know. And man, this thing come on, and all of a sudden, this little lion is lifted up, and Zimba, let me think if I can get the names right, Mufasa, that right? Zimba's the little lion. He holds the lion up regardless of who, what his name is. He holds the lion up and he says, Everywhere the light falls is your dominion. You've been born to reign. Touch somebody, say, You've been born to reign. And so, if you know the story, I'm going to try to, try to cut through this as quick as I can. But he, this young lion, goes off with this other young lion, and they go over to this elephant graveyard. It's a place I call it of big failed ministries. It was the who's who in the zoo. <laughs> but there's a lot of devils there, hyenas. And his daddy told him, don't go over there. But he didn't listen. But I like this. A little bird goes and tells his daddy, your boy's in trouble. And if you've seen the movie, daddy comes in and saves his son because how many know Hallelujah. Daddy has a weakness for us, and I'll leave that be. Whole nother message. The weakness of God is stronger than men. But the moment he saves his son, and he's always getting him out of trouble. How many of you feel like this? I've been in trouble a lot of times, and Daddy saved you. Come on. How many of that's part of our growing process? But one of the final times was he's, he's standing, he's in this valley, and these wildebeest, and that'll preach. But these wildebeest are stampeding. In order for his father to save him this time, he has to give his life. And if you remember the movie The Lion King, the stampede comes, and the young lion is in trouble again. Here comes the father to save him again. And when he goes to save him, this time his father is killed by the stampeding wildebeest, and he dies right beside a tree. Now, I'm sitting in the theater not trying to be religious or spiritual with this because I'm, I'm not, when I go to movies, I get stuff out of them, but I'm not trying to be religious. It just speaks to me. Right. And when that lion died beside that tree, that jerk got on me, you know. And I went, hey! And my wife said, honey, you were in a theater. I said, I know I am, babe, but they don't know what they're seeing, but if they'll put that on pause, I'm about to tell them. <laughs> Ah, man, I feel like preaching in here tonight. I've I, I, I got to say this. I know, I know I'm, I'm maybe being a little lengthy, but let, let, me, let me say this. Friday night, it's, it's party time anyhow. Hallelujah. 
The weakness of God is stronger than men is what Paul said in Corinthians, and the foolishness of God is wiser than men. But there's a lot of ways to look at that. But I started saying the weakness of God, and that caught me a number of years ago. I said the weakness of God. If God has a weakness, I would like to know what it is. And then it says the weakness of God is stronger than men. So that you could preach that like God at his weakest is still stronger than men. Or you could preach it that the weakness that God has is stronger than you've got. And so I thought... I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules, it's about a relationship with a loving Father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.